From Hanover, New Hampshire, I'm Lee Coffin, Dartmouth's Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid. And this is a special anniversary episode of The Admissions Beat. everyone. Somehow, this podcast reached the 50th episode milestone a couple of weeks ago, and we thought, wouldn't it be fun to pause and take a look back and to wander through those episodes from the fall of 2021 to the present and pull out some highlights that struck us as important conversations, insights, Something, something that struck a nerve with one of us. And to join me on this anniversary episode are Charlotte Albright, the longtime, actually the only producer I've ever had on the pod. Um, Charlotte, hi. Hello, nice to be here. You were with me from the from the from the first second of the first episode, and everyone since then. Absolutely, it's been a joy. Um, and. Luke Grayson, uh, a Dartmouth junior from CM England, uh, who appeared on an episode in season three, uh, take an existential selfie international edition, is back. And and Luke, hi, welcome back to the Admission Beat. Hi, it's great to be back. It feels like yesterday I was uh, on the other episode. It does feel like it was. And for listeners, Luke was tapped as the student ears and eyes on these first 50 episodes. And we asked him, wander back through all 50, pull some highlights for us that really resonate with you as not just a student in college now, but going back to your own roots as a high school student in Northern England, you're in a public state school, you're the first in your family to go to college, thinking about the U.S. when nobody in your neighborhood ever did that. And so for listeners who might be outside the U.S., but also for just listeners anywhere, Luke is our tour guide through the first 50 episodes of Admission Beat. And what, as you listen to it all, Luke, what really jumped out at you as you were pulling these these highlights? Oh, you know, it was super interesting for me because I was going back through these episodes. And when I first started, I wasn't really sure what I was looking for. I was I was kind of like, oh, you know, we, we have this podcast. We talk about so many things. But I feel like the central kind of nexus for me that I start to touch on in all these different points was almost like this journey that you've gone through the process as a as a person as a human being going from kind of not really understanding or not really fully knowing where you're going to end up to almost not just finding the place that you're going to end up but also finding kind of who you are as a person and who you're going to be kind of for your next four years at that institution and so that was kind of one of the most interesting parts for me was this process of the search not just as a college search, but almost like looking within yourself. Yeah, I love that. Because you're right, it is a journey. Um, I've used existential several times on episodes. <laughs> yeah. Say the students, look in the mirror and take take a selfie. Like think about who you are, where you're going, what you want. You may not have answers to all those questions yet, but this journey will help reveal that to you. And I hope the episodes that we're about to highlight from the last three years um we'll do that for our listeners and charlotte as you tee this up with with luke and me um tell us what's going to happen 
what's going to happen is, Luke, you made great selections, and I was so pleased that you actually had more than we had time for. That means that you really saw a lot in these episodes or heard a lot. So what I did is I sort of made a, a greatest hits CD here, <laughs> and I'm going to play each clip for you, and then I'm going to pause a bit, and you're going to try to remember back, why did I think about that? And what did I think about that? Did I know it at the time? Has it just happened to resonate in, in, this, in the meantime? Um, we won't talk a lot about each one, and I will, at the very top, introduce our cast of this Broadway musical, uh, all of the people that... Uh, that that made these pieces of advice resonate with you. Uh, but really, Luke, you've been a shadow producer uh, for this. You're the one who selected the content. Lee hasn't heard it yet. And you're the one who's going to talk us through it. So Lee, should I read the cast of characters? Yeah, let's introduce our our the, the cast of uh, this Broadway play called Admission Beat. The chorus line. Um, Sherry Geller, I think, uh, comes in as the co-director of college counseling at Gann Academy in Waltham, Massachusetts. We've heard from her a couple of times. Mary Pat McMahon is now vice provost and vice president of student affairs at Duke. Then comes Ronnie McKnight. He is associate director of college counseling at the Padilla School in Atlanta. Stu Schmell is the dean of admissions and student financial services at MIT. He's gonna to talk to us about testing. Emma Johnson, class of 2024 at Dartmouth uh, spoke to us in an episode uh, where students are sort of looking back and saying what we wish we knew at the time. Dino Koff, Director of Financial Aid at Dartmouth, we've just heard from him recently. He's a repeat customer. Uh, Yahala Fernando, uh, Class of 26. Luke, she was in the International Selfie episode and you were also in that, so you get to talk to yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> finally, Daryl Teagle, uh, Director of College Counseling at Friends School in Baltimore. So there is our cast, and I think I'm going to start us right off. And the first person you're going to hear is somebody you just heard from. Are you ready okay. for the clip? Place is more abstract than programming people. It has different interpretations. Place can be literal, geography, architecture, rural, cosmopolitan, woodsy chic, cows, pigeons, campus quads, crowds, distance from your parents, stadiums, you get the idea. Or a place can be a vibe, and vibes are so important, but really hard to capture. There's a key question that you have to answer for yourself as you decide where you will apply. And I'm not talking about, can I get in? Don't ignore that one, but don't start with it. Instead, focus on this question. Can you see yourself here? Can you see yourself here, Lee asks. And this is in the very beginning of the search as we're making our list of colleges. Lee often talks about program, people, and place. And here he is talking about place. What does that mean to you, Luke? So, I, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot in that to unpack, but I think it's this idea of place as being a multifaceted kind of existential, I hate to use that word so many times, but existential kind of non-tangible thing right like we often think of places like do I want to be in a city do I want to be by the beach do I want to be in the woods and all of those things are extremely relevant obviously for this school specifically like this is in a, in a very specific place in the woods in, in rural New Hampshire but at the same time place is a vibe I thought was such a powerful idea this idea that there, there are so many things about a school that differentiate it that you can't just see on on a on a website or on a poster board or on an image that you really have to almost 
find some direct prime like primary way of experiencing like speaking to students or, or listening to this podcast or or reading a blog um and i like the idea that that as much as obviously one of the most important things is figuring out like is this a place i could get in it's also a case of like just because i can get into this place is it the right space for me to be in that's such an important point luke just made uh, the only thing i would add is the idea that this sense of place that each student works through, it's a feeling and it it touches your, your gut, your soul, your heart more than your head. And that trips up a lot of students because they think I have to have a logical analytical reason and place is in a different space. It it's more feel and touch than think. And I think, I think Luke just um, captured that really well. I think as well, like it, it, it's unique to each person as well, right? Like, yes, I have a different place in this college campus to every other person here. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things. Yeah. Great. Well, I have to uh, say that that was a perfect place to start. Um, <laughs> I'm going to hear, hear from Sherry Geller. Uh, as you recall, she's from Gann Academy and Waltham, and she's very practical. So she talks about making the list and how many colleges should be on it. And as Lee often says, most people put too many on there. So here's what Sherry thinks. My starting point is usually eight. Some lists can still be only five, and some should be 10 or 11. I don't usually believe in lists that are too much longer than that, but occasionally there's a reason for that too. With eight, you have the opportunity to divide it in lots of different ways. If you wanna have lots of choices, maybe your eight is a range where five or six of them are pretty likely for admission and then a few are more reaches. If you say, no, 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 I wanna have several of those highly selective schools, then maybe you have three or four of those, but then your other four um, represent some places that might be a better match academically. So Luke, how many places did you put on your list? So I was on probably the larger end. I was on around 10 to 11, I would say. Um, Although I will say going through the certain trust program that I went through, um, it was a little bit more regimented kind of how how I applied. Um, But it, it was also a case of like, even what I realized when I was making that list and after I'd submitted those applications, yes, my list had 11 on it, but I really could have just applied to like seven or eight like there were, there were seven or eight on there that I'd really looked into. And then another three that I just kind of like threw on there because because why not? Talk a little bit more about that, Luke, because I think that's how lists balloon from eight to 12 to 20 is people say, why not? Or I've had a lot of parents say, oh, we know the odds are long, but let's see what happens. And my college counselor friends will always say, we know what's going to happen, but go ahead, try it. So what? how did those extra three wander onto your list? Well, because I feel like as a as a prospective applicant, I think you're exactly right. You have this thing of, oh, you know, like I'll just shoot my shot, like there's no harm done. But what you often don't realize when you're at that point in time is there is to a degree an impact of expanding your list just in terms of like how split your focus is. Because right. it's not just a case of pressing a button to submit an application. It's preparing all of your all all the materials you want to send off, the the essays you want to answer um preparing for like any interviews or whatever that might come up i i do think that at that point in time it's so easy as a prospective applicant to go you know what there's no harm done might as well submit it but what you don't realize is quite often 
if you had just dedicated yourself to the, those core eight or core seven, you would have been able to put so much more focus into those choices. Excellent. That for listeners, especially seniors who are right on the eve of this deadline moment, Luke just gave you such an important insight about the reason a focus list serves you much better than a bigger list where you're, you know, throwing for the fence and, and in doing so you lose track of your purpose and those supporting elements like interviews, like essays, just making sure all the deadlines get met much easier to do when you're shooting for Sherry's um, suggested eight than when you wander up to the upper limits of the common apps um, allowed number. And even within those eight or 10, you're still going to be narrowing it down in the end. And so Mary Pat McMahon says one of my favorite things about how to narrow it down. Let me play it for you. When you start thinking about where you're going to live, how you're going to learn, who you're going to meet, and where, where your undergraduate experience is going to take you, where do you get to bring your messy, authentic self? Yeah. Luke, did you bring your messy, authentic self to Dartmouth? Oh, exceedingly so. Exceedingly so. <laughs> I, I, I do believe like you, you kind of, you look at a place, you're like, oh, I could imagine myself. Then you always imagine like the, the perfect like personification of your future self. And you really got to think like, you know, how am I on a day-to-day basis? Am I getting up? Am I really getting up at like 6 a.m. and studying until 9 p.m.? No, I want to be somewhere where I can be me, right? <laughs> Only thing I'll add to Mary Pat's point about being your messy, authentic self. It's, true um, you have to bring you to the campus but as you introduce yourself through your application you also want to be authentic and messy in whatever playful way that plays through um, in the way you tell your story so don't create a um, a cartoon character named luke who is applying to college introduce yourself as you are and let us meet you that way and those are the applications that um resonate best and if i can like add a little international lens to that as well because i think it's super interesting this idea of being your messy authentic self coming from kind of specifically the uk where traditionally you're encouraged to almost write in a very formal and academic manner when it comes to applications um it's important for any international students who are out there who have the same kind of vibe to to kind of feel free if you're applying to u.s colleges to look inside yourself and to be extremely kind of authentic and honest on those applications, because it can be so hard sometimes when you come from that background to, to really, I don't know, be that vulnerable on a piece of paper, but it's, it's one of those things that's not just worth it for the sake of the application, but also like very introspective. And I, I, I personally very enjoyed that very much enjoyed that aspect of the process. You know, I would imagine another thing that makes it difficult uh, to apply to a college in the United States from outside the United States is that you're, you might be likely to rely on rankings. You know, you might pick up the U.S. News and World Report because you're not in this country. You don't get all of the word of mouth that maybe people would from inside. And Lee has something to say about the, the word best. We often see the word best. Best college is this. Best college is that. Lee, you had something to say about that. Quote, unquote, best is such a subjective concept. And, you know, it's really about, can you imagine four years in a community that 
stimulates you in, in whatever ways that's true for you as an individual and as you understand yourself today. And I mean, the other thing I would just say um, to seniors as the fall plays out, by June of your senior year, you're a different person. And you know, you're in this enormous growth moment that don't lock yourself in before you're, you know, I guess a different metaphor. Don't eat the cake before it's baked. Like let, give yourself time to enjoy 12th grade. So Luke, did you have to rethink what the word best meant to you? I guess in, in some ways, I mean, I personally have never really been, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I'm kind of distrustful of these like ranking systems. I'm, all, I'm always kind of sat there looking at it. Like, what are you, what are you really basing it on? Like, this is why we love you, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I'm, and I'm sat there and I'm like, it's not about what is best based on this really niche specific thing. It's, it's about what is best for me. Like, where am I going to feel like I can be myself and, and grow as a person? And I think that part that Lee touches on in that quote is super important to me is <clears throat> if you're relying so much on, on this ranking of best that you, you're kind of sat there even, even in like 12th grade kind of in a dilemma of like you know how do I get into the best college I feel like later on it's going to be much harder if that's a manifest into a place where you feel at your best like enjoying 12th grade and then seeing where you end up is is I think the best way to find out kind of naturally or organically where you should be let's t unpack that a little bit more Ronnie McKnight is going to talk to us you remember he's from the Padilla School in Atlanta and he's really taking a again a look at the whole list and so I would want to make sure as, as I go into the final stretch that I have a nice balance of schools that not only might be more aspirational, but also places that are really good matches for me and also some places where I'm fairly confident that I'm going to be admitted. So I'd want to make sure that my list is nicely balanced going into January 1. So now he's talking about your chances, Luke, you know, to make sure that you're not only looking at the colleges you want the most, but also, frankly, some of the colleges that you think might want you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, statistics are the bane of every future applicant's life, I feel like, right? Like you kind of sat there Googling like, oh, like what, what, what test scores do I need for this school? Like what, what like percentage do I need? And the truth is like admissions is never that, that never that straight cut. And so I, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty simple sentiment of like, have some schools that you would like to get into and have some schools that you would also like to get into, but you're more sure of. Makes sense. Lee? You know, the story we're telling through these clips and Luke's insights is um, balance in this example counts. Uh, you want to give thought to the place and its feel and your connection to it. And, you know, connecting the question about best and a balanced list, you know, you have to decide for yourself what criteria is best. And then hopefully that criteria adds up to an institution or two or three that represent that set of attributes, um, as opposed to relying on media outlet to tell you, here's our opinion of best, but that, that more macro version may not have anything to do with the criteria that you hold dear as you think about where you'd like to study. So as you're making your list, you're researching, and there are places to look for information about colleges that go beyond their websites. So Mary Pac McMahon has some advice about that. 
I would say, you know, can, can you find somebody, you know, that you either, you know, from high school or that you found on the, as a student leader, you know, you can go on and see where student group leaders are. There's usually contact information, you know, say, say you want to be involved in a dance group and you look and you see who the dance groups are. And just, I, I think most students who love their school will say, I'd love to talk to prospective students here and then say, can I just give you a call? I mean, texting, you know, I know people are more, more sort of interested in texting a lot of ways. So you can certainly do it that way too. And then to have some questions. Sometimes I think it's hard to know how to start on the question of sort of a cold call with a college college student if you're a high school senior. Uh, but they have all been where high school seniors are in general. Yeah. And I think they're all sympathetic to the predicament of being um, trying to figure this this big decision out without without being able to come to campus and sort of walk around and kind of you know smell the air and and, and reach around a little bit. So Luke, did you do some of that sleuthing? Did you reach out to students and how did that go? I have a super cool uh, quick anecdote about this actually. When I was applying, I was in conversation and I can't for the life of me remember what their name was, which makes me feel so bad. But I was in conversation uh, through an admissions counselor with uh, a student who was an engines major, which is what I thought I was going to be engineering. And she was like, oh, yeah, like for sure, we can uh, we can do a call at this time. And I was like, awesome, awesome. And I was expecting a caller and she'd be in a study room studying or whatever, like in between classes. She was on a road trip with her friends and <laughs> she took like an hour out of her life to talk to me. And I was like, are you sure it's a good time? And she was like, absolutely. Like, there is nothing I would rather be doing than helping a potential, like, applicant to this school that might join my community kind of figure out if this is the place for them. Um, and that just struck such a chord with me, not just about that person, but about the place I was applying to. And, you know, Charlotte, he, Luke pays it forward because that story he just shared probably helped convince him to become a blogger uh, in the Dartmouth admission office where he, you know, regularly posts about his life as an Englishman uh, drinking tea in the woods of New Hampshire, or as he would say, New Hampshire. Um, but <laughs> is, so is your blogging connected to that, that kindness you experienced when you were a high school student? Oh, for sure. And I think it extended. I mean, I, I, I kind of grew organically from blogging to, uh, doing like outreach projects and especially internationally. And, and I think if I hadn't had that experience applying, would my outlook be a lot different for sure. I, I think it kind of almost like was like a moment where I was like, wait, somebody did that for me. I want to do that again. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's another reason to research these schools and that is that they're going to ask you why you have picked them. A lot of times on an application, there's a question, not just why you, but why us? I think you, you're going to hear Ronnie McKnight talk a little bit about that. Here's my general advice for, for any student. So one, schools tend to be very reasonable about those expectations, and they simply want to know that a student has done enough research to know that that institution is a good match for them. And so if you've been very thoughtful in your application, and if that school happened to ask like, hey, why are you applying? You know, pretty commonly, they'll ask a question about why are you applying to us, like the why, fill in the blank, name of the institution. Um, one, it's pretty important to be thoughtful when you respond to that to make sure that you have done your research and you know why that institution is of interest to you and that you're able to articulate that to the school. And then, you know, if you've if you've had the luxury of being able to go and visit that campus, then you've met any institution's expectation for the most part. If if they maybe visited your area and you went to a reception, even if you took the time to sit down one afternoon and listen to one of their information sessions online. That's a great way to show an institution that you're doing your homework 
And, and if they care about that sort of thing, then they'll notice that sort of thing that you've done. So what do you think about that, Luke? Why'd you pick that one? Well, I think, I think it's super interesting because I think we can often, when you're applying, get caught up uh, in what this means, like why, why this institution. Um, and it's great to write about, you know, I want to study X subject and I want to, I want to do this, but, and not to speak for the, the, the admissions team themselves, but I'm pretty sure you can kind of glean that from other parts of the application is, is this is why I want to study. Um, and, but I, I think that it's a, it's an opportunity for you to place yourself as a person on that campus, kind of going back to this idea of place and talk about very specific aspects of that institution that you've kind of figured out through interacting with students there and researching that school. And you're like, you know what? this is what I want to do if I spend a day of my life on this campus. Like, this is, this is where I want to be. Like, this is where I, what I want to, like, the interactions I want to have. And I just think, I think that's like a pretty unique opportunity with, with that kind of application. Yeah. It's show us that you know us. Right. You know, it's a simple sentence. It's like, you know, we, we ask you to be your messy, authentic self and we are a messy, authentic institution what is it about that octopus that invites you to join us? You do talk a lot uh, in every episode about the importance of getting to know yourself so that you can know where you want to go to school. But I don't want to leave the impression that you have to know yourself as if you're never going to change. Right. So here's what Lee had to say about that one time. The sense that we want you to have this preordained sense of who are you at the age of 17 is overstated. I think as a high school senior, you have license to still be imagining where you're going, uh, exploring, certainly exploring new, new topics and new ideas and new identities for yourself. So that's really essential to me. And I would, I would be saddened if um, applicants to college think they need to pop out of some magic box as high school seniors and be ready to say, this is who I am, this is where I'm going, let's go. So Luke, are you, you the same guy you were when you applied? Oh, absolutely not, not at all. <laughs> Completely different person. Uh, but I do think that's like the beauty of it, right? Is like, you're applying to this place and, and the, the thing that really, I don't know, I think is beautiful when you look at applications and stuff is like, who could this person be? Right. Like it's, it's not really about like who you are right now today, it's about like, who could you be? One of the things we value in an applicant is potential. Uh, potential means future. Uh, so the idea that every high school senior at the age of 17, 18 is fully formed and ready to go is just not true. Oh, also this idea that like I have more of an idea of who I am and who I'm going to be at this point in time is also not true. Like I remember applying and thinking, wow, these, these college students really have it all together. And I wake up today and I'm like, wow, I'm going to figure out what I have for coffee before anything else. <laughs> One of the ways we do uh, measure potential, of course, is through testing. But I think students are mistaken if they think that's the only way. And so there are always a lot of questions about testing on every episode almost. But I think this is one of the comments, Luke, that you chose that puts it in proper perspective. It comes from Stu Schmill at MIT. Your test score is not a referendum on you as an individual or even a student or your potential. It's just a point in time right. in how uh, you might do in your first year or in your college uh, uh, courses uh, upcoming now. 
but it does not say anything about your potential, uh, your, your life outcomes, uh, certainly your worth as a, 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 a human or a person. And I think too often students get wrapped up in, oh, I'm really smart, I have a high test score, or I'm not that smart, I don't have a high test score. And uh, so much of it is about uh, preparation, your opportunities, and uh, it is not determinative of what your life outcomes are going to be. So, Luke, uh, I'm not going to ask you what your test scores were, but this interested you, this clip. Why? Well, look, you wouldn't use an oil test to tell you how good a car is. Like, that's that's like, I think the best summary I can get of that is, look, it's a part of it. Like, you you want to obviously try and like um, look at testing. It is a it is a part of our application. But also, I mean, it doesn't have to be, I guess, at this point. Like, that's, that's an, a relatively new thing since COVID. But it's a tiny, tiny cross-section. And I think who you are as a human being is like the ultimate the ultimate point that you want to get across. As Lee says often, testing is just one piece of the application. The bigger piece, I think, is what we often call storytelling. Because test scores can't ever tell us as much as a story can. This is from Emma Johnson. She's talking about the essay that she wrote for her application. And she's looking back on the, her state of mind at the time. I wrote my applications. I I knew that in high school there was um, a handful of teachers who would just uh, anytime I would go to do something or I'd say, "Oh, I'm a little stressed," they would say, "You've got the Emma Johnson pizzazz. You can make this happen." <laughs> and so I sat down and when I went to write my application, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to put all of the Emma Johnson pizzazz into this. I can." And I know that when I was writing my first few applications, I've gone back and I've reread them, and I they're exactly what I at the time thought the admissions team wanted to hear uh, and it's not what they wanted to hear. I you love know, it that was, you just said that. Did it was exactly that? what I thought like some some imaginary higher up in the college scheme wanted to know about a potential student coming in and then like for my last few applications that were really close to the regular decision deadline I just sat down and I wrote stories that I love to tell and I wrote like my favorite childhood memories from the time I convinced my little brother to eat a packet of wasabi or you know <laughs> just things like that that were just you know parts of who I am that maybe not everyone gets to see but it's the Emma Johnson pizzazz and it makes me me. Emma Johnson pizzazz. You know, Lee, I'm sure that Emma Johnson is not the only one who has pizzazz because you read a lot of essays. So I'm wondering if her state of mind, thinking she should make an Emma Johnson that everybody would like versus her later state of mind, Luke, where she said, you know, I think I'm just going to write about me. Did you go through those two states of mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, like you don't, you don't need them. I, I didn't need to make a Luke Grayson that everybody like, because I at least I hope, you know, I've that's what I spent the last twenty years doing, right? Like I've kind of grown grown into who I am today, and uh, you know, to to use the trademark term, a little bit of that Emma Johnson pizzazz. You just gotta like bottle it up, bottle up the essence of who you are, and and I think communicate that. But I will say, like the caveat is that is, I think it's easier to talk about kind of who who you want to present I think the hardest thing to do is to actually look at yourself and go actually this is me and find words to represent that yeah because you have to trust that saying this is me it's hard for you to see the way someone else is going to appreciate that 
Right. You know, and it's, you have to trust that that honest representation is meaningful and it always is. But I think what gets in the way is this idea that these cartoon characters that are called college admission people have some expectation of what you all should write. And so then you manufacture this essay or a short response that is fine, but it lacks flavor because it's very pro forma. It followed kind of an outline that somebody else suggested do it this way, as opposed to you bringing your own pizzazz and saying, no, I'm going to talk about wasabi and you're going to learn something about me um, from that. I think another thing that makes essay writing stressful, we have learned by talking to other students that we don't have time to play today, is um, that they think that that's the make it or break it story. Sometimes they have peer recommendations. In other words, other students writing about them. They certainly have teacher recommendations writing about them. The whole thing adds up to a story. So um, that should take a little of the stress out of the essay writing. But we do have a couple of other clips about just the stressfulness of this whole procedure. Uh, so Sherry Geller talks a little bit about that. And uh, I think eventually she talks a little bit about handling parents. It actually really frustrates me between these countdown clocks and like how we release decisions that there is such buildup, but the buildup is great for the kids who get in, although anxiety provoking along the way, but the kids that don't, there have been all this buildup and they're waiting for the confetti you describe and the electronic, woo! And then all of a sudden, um, the answer is no, and they just crash. They've been so anxious and they have that letdown. They're on the verge of tears, whether they get in or don't get in. And it really um, becomes that the decision, it's, you know, you, you mentioned that I'm a sports fan, like that LeBron James, the decision that we have to watch it on TV. It becomes so much hung up in the decision yeah. that it takes on a life of its own in a way that I don't think is helpful. So you picked that one, Luke. I wonder if you picked that one because you wanted to share that it's necessarily stressful or do you have some ideas for helping people relieve that stress? I think it's it's so easy to kind of build up that movie moment in your head of like the higher the stakes are kind of the higher the, the payoff when it when it comes through. But like the, the truth is, and I think this has a lot to do with list building, and I think this has a lot to do with place and also a lot to do with this idea of like understanding yourself, is that you have to, I feel like you, you have to have options when when you're doing this application and the realistic side of applications is is kind of the the less fluffy and less kind of like you know nice and bright part to look at but you have to have a list you have to i think not just idealize yourself at one of those places or two of those places but you have to have already kind of looked at them and went you know i could be at any of these places and be happy um and then that way whatever happens at the end you know that you were authentic going into it and that you're going to be happy where you end up. And then you can still have that big hooray moment when when kind of letters come through and you you find out kind of like where you got into. But the stakes when it comes to getting a letter that says, you know, we're really sorry, but at this time it wasn't the right fit, you aren't going to be completely crushed. And of course, you're not the only one in the house feeling that stress. Your parents are feeling it on your behalf and on their own behalf, I would imagine. Sherry has something to say about that too. As I've also become more their age um, and also just having more experience working with them, 
I really place much more value, despite the fact that I sometimes have these funny posts, but about how much every parent, just a reminder over and over again, how much every parent just wants to do right by their kid and have their kid be successful. So Luke, to me, that almost felt like you were picking that clip to thank your parents. Well, I mean, yes, to a degree, although I will say, I think I, I took it from another angle, which is, I mean, I'm an international uh, first generation student. Uh, there's a lot of people who have kind of the opposite issue of like, you know, their parents kind of know a lot about the process and and almost have a lot of ideas about where their, their child should like apply and how they should do that. Uh, I had the opposite issue of, I was kind of not only introducing myself to this process, but also introducing my parents who really didn't have much of a, an experience with it and also like you know the initial reaction i was like oh i kind of want to study in the u.s was oh my god like no like shock like <laughs> you that's you can't do that <laughs> but then like after after coaching them through it and and letting them in and being honest with them and open with them and communicating it was a a very meaningful experience of like look mom this is why i want to do this and this is why this is beneficial and i think the one of the things that uh sherry's got on on about there is this idea of like parents really want to be involved in this process but the student has to kind of communicate with them on that and it has to be a partnership it can't be just one or the other doing everything i think that's exactly right and friends of mine asked me to come over and have a a huddle with their high school senior a couple months ago just he's you know was stuck in the search and so i'm happy to give him some thoughts and at the end of it his mother said he told you things he has never, ever told us. And I said, well, partly I'm a, I'm an independent third person. So I'm not the parent with expectations that he's trying to navigate and, and honor. But also I asked questions about how he feels, what he's thinking, what, how's he sorting through things. And it invited him to talk about things that are more nuanced than just saying, did you take your SAT? What did you get on your calc exam? you have to go to this school because the tour guy was great. You know, the, the, the noise that gets in the way of all of this college searching sometimes overlooks the conversational moment where um, it doesn't have to be all bells and whistles. It could just be an honest, like, how are you feeling? And, and giving someone permission to say, this is hard, or I'm excited, but I'm nervous because I'm excited. And like owning that, it's a skill that you will keep using throughout your life. Like I was, it made me think about applying for jobs and waving the seed. Do I get an interview? And then I had the interview and do they get me, do I get called back to the next round? And then I, I get it or I don't get it. And that's not unlike applying to college. Like you put your best self forward and sometimes the outcome is what you expected. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes when it's not, that opens a door that you just didn't know was there and oh, life yeah. moves forward in a new and interesting way because of that. Of course, one of the reasons parents get stressed is they're thinking about money, maybe in yeah. ways mm -hmm. that uh, their children aren't. So when Dino Koff, our director of financial aid at Dartmouth, comes on, he always reminds parents, don't just look at the so-called sticker price, look at what it's going to cost you. And that means looking at what the possible resources are for financial aid. So I'm gonna play that. What is the cost of the school minus my scholarship? So that allows me to look at the award and, uh, and compare offers because I know here's my total cost. What are the hidden costs? Are there healthcare costs? 
Are there internship costs? Uh, you know, like if you have an unpaid internship, can you accept that? Or are there different pots of money to, uh, to be able to apply for to get funding to have these experiences? So financial aid is a thicket, is it not, Luke? Oh, it's, I mean, especially for me, low-income uh, first-generation student, it's, it's the reason that I'm here. And I remember that was the big stickler point when I was said to my mother, like, oh, like, I want to go to Dartmouth. She Googled it. And I, you know, I think a heart nearly beat it out of a chest when, when she saw the, <laughs> the sticker price, which didn't surprise me. And, I, and I, I had to sit it down and be like, mom, no, 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 no. Like, like, I think the toughest thing was for her. I'm saying, trust me, like, I'm sure it'll come out affordable. And she's like, well, you can't tell me that number now, can you? <laughs> because you don't find out until after you've applied. And, and so I think for me, like being really educated on and having good expectations and correct expectations about what schools are going to offer you um, is a huge part of this kind of realism of the process of you might have a dream school that you're going to, you want to go to, but that school might not offer um, needs blind uh, aid. Needs blind being obviously aid that where they don't, consider your income as an admissions factor. Um, and so at that point, you got to look, okay, there are outside scholarships that I can find, uh, all of that stuff. But it's super important that you can't just Google a college and go cost of going to Dartmouth and then presume that that's what the expectation is. I think that's right. You have to be open-eyed about cost and affordability and the college's resources to meet that cost and make it affordable. Um, and as Luke just said, all of us don't have the same resources and policies. So that adds a, a wrinkle to the way a list gets sorted. Um, but I think the biggest regret people have is if you don't explore, um, you're not going to get the answer to the question Luke's mother asked. Um, you know, like the offer of admission will come with some type of financial aid statement, either an offer that meets your need and off you go and can make a decision based on other factors or the numbers don't work and you make an informed decision accordingly, um, but you don't have the nagging question. I wonder what would have happened if, and for the places around the world in the U.S. that have scholarship resources, we have those resources to be able to give them to students. And um, I've said on campus many times, Financial aid is an investment in talent. It's an investment in opportunity. And as a student, you have to put yourself forward and, and then make an informed decision accordingly. But even if you've done that, even if you've done all your homework, you've made the right list, you've gotten into college, you've gotten the financial aid you need, um, you're coming from the other side of the pond, perhaps, or maybe another continent over, you still land on a campus that in some cases you might not have seen. So Luke, you chose an interesting clip from Yahala Fernando, who I believe was on the same show you were. Let's hear that. When I got here, everything was so different. Like, I feel like you don't really notice the tiny things. Like I saw everybody driving on the opposite side of the road and the steering <laughs> wheel was on the wrong side. And I was like, oh my God, what is this place that I'm in? But yeah, it was definitely a journey that took a lot of, it was very emotionally tiring and physically tiring. Uh, it was definitely worth it in the end. What's that make you think about Luke? T, 
Are you are you wishing you had a cup of tea right now? <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, Nova Cafe, a little sideline, uh, does some of the best English breakfast tea I've had outside. <laughs> in fact, maybe include not in England, but you know, around around the places I've been. Um, but no, I miss like the small things. Like I've been here for a year straight now. I haven't seen my family for like eleven months, which is a long ass time. Like that's like a really long time. Uh, you know, I miss my mother's cooking. I miss like seeing the people I went to school with, traveling around the UK. Um, even just going to like a restaurant or like a pub or something, like something very English like that. Um, but it's also the thing of like, you know, I'm in the US and there are things that I can't do back home that I've grown to love here. And it's 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 a really scary transition and it can be emotional, like you already said, but it it's also it invites you to almost become a new version of yourself and kind of and gives you an opportunity to expand. Uh, and also just like kind of reinvent yourself, reinvent the wheel in some ways. Luke, for students who go really far away for college, whether it's internationally or even, you know, you come from the East Coast to the West Coast within the U.S., what what impact does that have on your independence? I think it's huge. I mean, that was actually one of my big, some people, I think, go that far and then discover that independence. And I think some people go that far to get that independence. Uh, and I was one of the latter. I, I, I love my parents. I love my family. But there was a level of like, you know, I want to really go out and do something for myself and almost prove to myself that I can do that. Um, and you actually touched on something there that I think a lot of people don't think about as internationals, that if you fly from California to here, that's like a same length of time on a plane as me flying from the UK to here and almost as much of a cultural jump. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're never alone on a campus like this in that experience, even when it comes to students that might be from this country. Right. Well, now I want to compare the state of mind we have just been given a window on uh, in November of 2023 with the uh, applicant. I think you'll recognize this voice. I'm going to be honest, Lee, I when when I was leaving England, that wasn't the point of jitters for me. Like I, I felt like, you know, I'd, I'd really I would put a lot into do it and I was excited to leave to the degree where I felt like I'd outgrown the environment I was in. Um, and when I got to Dartmouth, it didn't hit. I feel like the the courage it took to leave um, is embodied more in a, in a daily way for me in the sense that I'm not only, you know, traveling 3000 miles to come to the US, but I'm the first person in my family to attend college. Um, I come from a like a, a lower income background. And so for me, the the fear is more of a one that, that is associated with doing it is more of one of like, I've got to make this work, right? Like if you're going, it's 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 kind of similar to what was said earlier, actually. Um, this idea of like if I'm coming to the US, I've got to do something big, right? For me, the making the move was the easy part. It was getting here and realizing, wow. I'm here, there are so many opportunities, but I also have to make sure, like you said, that like I'm doing stuff that makes me happy while I'm here. So if getting in was the easy part, now what's the hard part? I mean, first of all, wow, that guy's so inspirational. I, very, he, very wise. <laughs> right, he, he, he must be like really, really, really wise. Um, yeah, no, uh, the, the, the flying here was the, the easy part, the, the kind of arriving here was the easy part, the kind of moving in, and then, it's everything that comes after that. It's like, I have this awesome opportunity. Like I have the, the winning lottery ticket, so to speak, right? Like I'm, I'm coming here. What do I do with it? What do I spend that lottery ticket on? And how do I make it kind of, how do I make it benefit me? Because, you know, go, going to a place and getting into a place can seem the 
the be all the mean all and end all when you're kind of at that point in your life but then once you've got in like that's that's like the first step so for me it was like what do I what do I want what do I want to do for work what do I want to study and I did change from engineering to to economics uh what kind of person do I want to be uh what clubs do I want to join and how can I see that impacting my life when I leave this place in four years and Charlotte Luke's answer reminded me of the conversation I had with Emmy Neatfeld about her book Acceptance, where she also saw college as the lottery ticket and put a lot of energy into pursuing that outcome as her safe place and then came to realize, oh, it's more complicated than that. And I, I think, you know, the aspiration of college um, is always important. Um, I think the lottery ticket as it dances around as um, opportunity that must be attained, puts too much pressure on the experience to be perfect. And this is the idea that um, colleges are human institutions and they they organically move and shift and grow and make mistakes. And and you're part of that too. And, and it's uh, you have to be in a community where you feel comfortable. So one of the episodes that I think um, got a lot of people talking was the one where we asked Jack Steinberg, um, who is a Dartmouth alum and went on to become a, a noteworthy national reporter in the higher education sphere. We asked him into the decision room, Lee, and he got to listen to how you make decisions. And you talked to him about that. Here's an excerpt. So the deadline was January 3rd. And as in most admission cycles, we have an avalanche of submissions in the week right before that. So literally thousands of applications land with a kind of electronic thud um, at the deadline. And they get sorted into geographic bins. So each at Dartmouth, every admission officer manages a region where we travel and visit high schools and get to know the landscape of that place. So when we meet the applicants, we can assess them in context and have some sense of where do you live? Where do you go to school? What are the norms in that place? Because one of the things I think that gets lost in the broad conversation about college admissions is a kid from a rural, small public high school in Montana has different resources and different norms than somebody attending a large suburban public high school or maybe an independent school on the East Coast or the West Coast. So there was your inside view, Luke. Does it match up with what you thought was happening? Yeah, I feel, because I, I feel like when I was applying, there was always this level of doubt of like, you know, I'm not, even if Dartmouth has put a lot of work into understanding kind of the context of like UK um, education in general, like I, I, I very much doubt that there was anybody from my region, anybody else from my region applying or had recently applied, um, being that there's only, you know, one person that I know of at Dartmouth who, who's from my area. And so like there's there's a huge regional disparity, especially since like a lot of people who are applying to this school come from privately educated backgrounds, a huge difference. And so there was always that level when I was applying that concern of like, what if, what if I'm kind of measured against like these other people from this other school? 
And what I very much realized afterwards being on the other end of it is no, like they're in all of the materials that you submit, especially things from like a guidance counselor and those kind of things, like Dartmouth is not like measuring you up against this like broader number of students. It's measuring you up against like your background and where you've come from and the opportunities that you've had access to. Well, it's a huge takeaway and it's true across our peer group. We read in context. And I think that truth gets lost in the way college admissions is understood by many families around the world. Um, and I would, I'll say again, you know, when we read a file, we do what Luke just said. We, we meet you where you are. And so the way you tell your story, the grades, the courses, the opportunity, the lived experience is, is indelibly connected to where you were raised. And it's impossible to take that story and contrast it to the school down the street even, because that's not where you were. And it's a one-by-one -one process. It's very individualized and it's labor intensive. And it's the best part of the job because you get to do a little anthropology uh, as we read and to see you know what's the local truth that makes this applicant the person he is in this example. <clears throat> you know, if I, um, as somebody who's edited all of these word for word, if somebody said, what word pops up the most? What word do you hear the most in 50 episodes? I would have said the word fit. Yep. And I think Luke picked up on that. This is going to be the last excerpt, Luke, and it does have the word fit. You have options that are yesable propositions. Which one do you think is the best fit? Does it have the academic, you know, social, you know, other types of uh, criteria that uh, that you're looking for and that you can afford it? I think the one that feels the best is the best one for you. And in so much as I tell students on the front end, you know, think about finding fit in the same way that you, you search out genes. Right. Um, I also I also love cars. So I think at that point, it's really, you know, test driving the car that you can absolutely at that point afford admissions wise, hopefully afford financially. Which one can you drive the best? Right. Which one will get to you, get you to where you're going or where you want to go in, in the best way. So that was the inimitable Daryl Teagle. Uh, he comes on a lot. Director of College Counseling at Friends School in Baltimore. He is the master of metaphor, Luke. Total master of metaphor. He, those, I, he got like three in that one quote, so I don't doubt yeah. that. <laughs> what appeals to you about that? Because that's our final word. Well, I love the one about jeans, first of all, because, you know, you you got to pick a pair of jeans that has the right kind of fit, you know, waistline, leg length. But at the same time, like, you know, I'm not going to pick a pair of jeans entirely on that. Uh, but the car one, the car one is what gets me. I, I like cars myself. And it's like, yeah, I could walk around a car lot and kind of be a tire kicker and like, oh, like, I really want to buy this Bugatti Veyron. But like, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, what can I see myself, my authentic self, so to say, like me today with my aspirations, abilities and future potential, what could I see myself getting in and driving every day and being happy with? And not just getting in the first time and being like, oh, this is so cool. This is my car. But in two years time, am I still going to be sat there? Maybe not as, you know, really enthusiastic, but what am I going to be sat there going, I'm really glad I made this decision. Totally true. And uh, the we talk fit all the time because it is the hidden purpose. You know, you, you want to bring a class together on a campus. They need to fit with each other to create mm -hmm. a community and a class. 
they need to fit with the place and be happy where they live for four years. But fit, um, it's part of the admission process on the college side, and it's 100% part of the student's decision about where can I go? Like, you put those jeans on, you're like, this is the pair. Um, so, Luke, thanks so much for joining Charlotte and me on this um, 50th episode recap, highlight reel. Charlotte, thank you uh, for being my sidekick um, on this potting journey. I, you know, we started, the original podcast was The Search, which launched in the spring of 2020 when we were all stranded at home. And we did about 20 episodes of that one, guiding that high school class of 2021, which I think is Luke's class, through what was a remote admission process for everybody. And that ended and we said, let's let's do an ongoing news-themed show that brings people from college counseling and college admission and students and journalists and CBOs and anybody who has something to say. And you know, I think we found an audience. And to those of you who've listened to all or part of, of our first 50-something episodes, thank you for um, downloading us and listening. I, I rarely say this, but please go to Apple and Spotify and give us a rating if you like us. What I've learned is those ratings help others find us in um, a media landscape that has a lot of um, voices giving advice. So if you think this advice has been helpful, a rating from you um, would be really meaningful to the juniors that we'll meet in season five when that gets going in the spring of 2024. Um, but Luke, it's always fun to have you um, on on Admission Beat, and you're natural uh, at the mic. Thank you. And Charlotte, we'll see you next week as Admission Beat continues. For now, this is Lee Coffin from Dartmouth College. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.